If you do any prospecting with LinkedIn, you have got to go get set up with Surf. That's S-U-R-F-E. It's a tool you can use to add new contacts to your CRM system directly from LinkedIn in seconds. I'm using it every single day. I add contacts, follow my deals, keep track of notes, and it ends up saving me a bunch of time on prospecting and outreach, which means I can spend more time moving my deals along. The data is always 100% accurate since I don't have to copy and paste all the fields over from each and every contact that I want to put in my CRM. Instead, Surf does that all automatically with just one click in about 60 seconds. The team over at Surf has put together a very special offer for fans of sales players. There's a link down in the show notes and you can use the promo code JWSURF5. Don't forget the E at the end of Surf. That's JWSURF5 for 5% off your first year. Don't spend another minute doing things manually. Go get set up with Surf. I'm going to let you in on a secret weapon that's going to skyrocket your sales without the unnecessary headaches that come with using one of the big player CRM systems. And that secret weapon is close, close CRM. Let's face it. We've all used a clunky, confusing CRM platform, the one that kind of makes you want to throw your laptop out the window. Well, Close is going to save you time, money, and sanity. Close has all the powerful tools you need to manage your leads, track your deals, and crush your targets. It has built-in calling, emailing, SMS, multi-channel sequences, and meeting tracking. It's super easy to implement, and it's built for your business. You can stop screwing around with CRMs that aren't built for you and start selling and managing your customers today. Use the link in the show notes and enter the promo code SSP15. That's SSP15 for 15% off your first three months. Go check them out. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we've got yet another fantastic guest lined up for today's episode. With me today is Nate Nasrallah. Nate is the co-founder of Fluent, that's fluent.io. And he's someone who I'm super excited to have come across his content and his company. And we'll get more into that in the episode, but we talk about a few different things that I think are super important for sellers today. First, that's how Nate came up with the idea for Fluent, what the pain point was that led him to create this company. We talk about something called buyer enablement. Now, if you haven't already heard that term, the idea behind it in a nutshell is enabling your champions, the folks that work at the companies you're selling to, to be able to go in and sell better than you in many cases to their executives or their leadership teams. Because the belief is that a lot of your biggest deals that you're gonna close in your career don't happen or don't close while you're in the room. They happen in internal meetings. So Nate goes into very great detail on some ways that you can simplify your communication with your champions and your buyers, how you can enable them to present and how you can help them succeed in that endeavor. We also talk about his 10 tips for improving your writing as a seller. This was a big one for me. It's one of those skills that I think is super underrated in selling. And it's one of those superpowers that I've seen play out for some of the top reps that I've worked with are the ones that tend to know how to craft great written word that can get their point across, that can create a point of view and ultimately help sell those deals. There is a lot of value in this episode, so you'll want to listen to the very end. So with all of that said, welcome Nate to the SaaS Sales Players Podcast. So we were just talking off the air, Nate, and you just had your first baby. 
We did. We did. Yeah, we were uh, pretty stoked to welcome her into the world. She was about five years in the making. It was a, a long road to get there. So when we we finally met her, um, it was, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of years, a lot of heartache, a lot of prayers all come true in this like little little girl who's growing and happy and healthy. So it's been a blessing. Yeah. And you were crazy enough to, to launch a company, uh, beta product right at the same time that you had a baby. Tell us about how that's been. Yeah. So we, um, we kind of exited out of the beta phase, early access into just, um, open access to, um, a lot of momentum, which is exactly what you want, uh, putting a new product out in the world. And it was, um, full bore father and founder life over the last, last week, two weeks. So it's been fun. I've been sprinting. So I'm looking forward to a little like, you know, ah, like breathe time this weekend. We're recording this on a Friday, so it'll be good. But, um, yeah, it, uh, you know, it's, I guess they say good things come in pairs and that's for sure been, you know, the father founder life over here lately. Yeah. I found, I've got two kids myself, so I know that having kids, it forces you to plan your day for sure. Because a lot of people ask me, like, how do you balance it all? You know, I've got the podcast, I have a full-time job, I have two kids. How do you manage all of that at once? And and what I found is kids can really help you figure out what your priorities are and what's most important and really boil it down to like, I could write on a sticky note what I need to do today uh, work-wise in order to, you know, make the appropriate time for kids and family. So uh, I'm I'm assuming everything's gone relatively, it sounds like everything's gone relatively smooth other than I know in the early days there's lack of sleep and that's, that's no fun, but it does go away. That's my message for anyone. Uh, my kids are older now and we're past the, you know, late night phase. Yeah, I will say that has been the most surprising piece is I was bracing for a much more rough transition into yeah. fatherhood. And I'm, I've, for years, I've been a bit of a chronic insomniac. I, I, <laughs> I, so I, I don't sleep a lot. And talking with my wife before our daughter came along, I was like, this is going to go one of two ways. Either yeah. it's going to be really bad because I'm already in sleep debt. Or the alternative is like, my body's just going to be like, what's, you know, what's new? I, I, I know what this is. And fortunately, it's been more of the second where my sleep quality, not quantity, but quality has actually improved. Wow. where I'm falling into deeper sleep faster. It's like, it was like a hard reset somehow uh, for my sleep patterns. So I'm probably like of the, you know, very small minority out there who's like, yeah, having a newborn will help your sleep um, <laughs> cycle. So <laughs> that, that that has also been unexpected, but good news. Yeah, that's really, really good to hear. So uh, I want to just set the stage for how we got connected and I reached out to you because someone forwarded me the enterprise sales playbook that, that your team put out. And I found the concepts in the playbook to be, dare I say, revolutionary. Uh, and it's stuff that I've heard for years, but I'd never really seen put in print. And that's, that's the Mm -hmm. way I'll put it. It's things that managers, one of the, the truths that I've found in my selling career is that you'll, you'll get these audibles from a manager over the years, right? You'll have a really great manager that'll say something like, Hey, Jesse, you know, that deals don't close when or deals close when you're not in the room. And, you know, it's up to you as the seller to sort of internalize principles like that, right. And take those mm-hmm. audibles and turn them into actionable things. And it was cool to see some of those audibles written about in a playbook that again, I just haven't, I hadn't seen anything like that come from a vendor. I'd never seen that from a LinkedIn thought leader or anybody else. So it was really exciting to read through that. And I read through it word for word. 
and, you know, took the parts and said, Hey, look, there's a lot of this that I'm already doing, but there's certainly things mm -hmm. that I'm not doing. And all of it's a good reminder for what we should be doing. So, uh, I was very excited to reach out and have you on the show. And I think a great place to start would be just tell us maybe first about your selling career. And then I want to get into how you came up with the idea for fluent and, and where this, this comes from. You're obviously scratching your own itch and I want to mm -hmm. hear where that, that came about. So take us back to your origins in, in sales. Yeah. So my, my origin in sales starts at a different point than the typical AE's journey. I, I, I started by co-founding a company and realized pretty quickly, like if we're not selling this product, then we don't get to continue building this product. Yeah. And so as I started to go deeper on kind of selling um, in, inside of that company, I realized there are a lot of parallels to the product work that I enjoyed, deeply understanding the job that somebody's trying to get done what blockers are coming up, what's the vision for what they'll be able to achieve? How do we move them forward from this problem today to some type of payoff and future vision tomorrow? And so I just kind of started to fall in love with the both the art, but then also the science of sales, figuring out, I um, kind of a fun fact, my spark type is a maven, somebody who just loves to learn. And you know, for years, I thought I was a maker, meaning I love to build things. And then my therapist helped me realize like, no, Nate, you just like learning new things. So you put yourself in different environments and there's always something to learn inside yeah. of every deal cycle. And it's also what kind of um, drew me more toward enterprise and strategic selling. So after that company was acquired inside of that next company, I built up its enterprise business unit. And that's where I started to go much deeper onto I would say planting some of the seeds of the current product that we're building at Fluent, though I couldn't have articulated that at the time, yeah. we were working on deals where our reps, and this was the audible, the soundbite that you shared earlier, yeah. is we were losing deals when we weren't in the room. And so after repeating some of the same issues, then later building a second enterprise sales team where we were selling to kind of Fortune 500 innovation teams. It was, it was like deja vu, right? It was the same set of problems over and over. And so that's where I started to say, okay, that kind of the old product brain kicked in. Mm -hmm. I was like, how might we go about solving this? If it's our champions that are closing deals, not us, because we're not actually in the meeting when a decision is being made. It's going down during an internal conversation. It's all about us, but you know, it's happening without us. Mm -hmm. And I kind of started to form a point of view is to say, okay, if we can't be in the room, well, our writing can, our content can. And the right. reps who were winning the most strategic deals most often at the highest contract values would go deep into not just writing, but co-writing or co-authoring a business case and executive summary, you know, kind of pick your favorite term there with their champion. And so the, the kind of genesis of the product, because I was also like at the same time, Jesse, I was like, do I really want to go back? and build another company. Like it's, it's hard yeah. <laughs> going, going back to the early stages of, you know, an idea and, and a couple of sketches in Figma. Mm -hmm. And so I, I tried to buy something first and I was, I was going out oh, wow. doing tons of demos with yeah. different sales tech vendors and everything kept coming back to the sales rep in the sales meeting, sales conversations, or something that was automated, quick, fast, easy to send out, you know, basic, basic marketing content that was templated and it didn't look or feel like that champion. It was all written kind of up by my team and I very manually. So right. that's where kind of the, I was like, all right, I think there's a true gap here. Went out, had more conversations on the product research side of things. And that's what convinced me to say, okay, something should exist. And then, you know, the rest of the story is that something is now fluent. Wow. And 
not to to give any press to competitors, but is there anybody else doing anything like this in the space? I, to my knowledge, there's not, but um, yeah. have there been anybody attempting this before? There's, there's some kind of adjacent, um, yeah. I call it categories. Um, sure. So you have different, different folks who are thinking about like mutual action plans. Like let's, let's work with the buying team to plan out the series of steps to complete a purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and that's good. And I'm an advocate for that type of work, building mutual action plans. But if you talk to buyers in the gap for us was much earlier in the sales cycle where the champion couldn't get an executive, the rest of the team engaged on why would we even think about buying this? And so they were less like the how, how do we buy this in the steps that comes afterward, but help me with the message and the words that I need to use internally first. That was the biggest gap in our pipeline where we would lose uh, most deals. And then kind of the other call it adjacent is there's kind of this generation of deal rooms, deal room software where, Hey, we can take everything that was in an attachment in an email and we'll put it into a little like microsite or little landing page. Um, And so the reps who we're working with is um, you know, usually it's like, that's um, fine in some deal cycles, but when I'm working with my champions, we need to build out more of an impact focused message versus just templated content about the product unique to every account. So it's more account-based. I'm having to write and create brand new content, not just reshare a branded link online. Um, and so that's kind of the gap that we're sitting in. Wow. Yeah. There's, there's definitely a hole to fill there in, in the marketplace. So yeah, let's, let's hear a little bit about the the product itself. I'd love for you to share just some of the feature highlights. How would a, a rep like myself, I'm an enterprise account executive, Mm-hmm. or even an SDR or somebody else within a sales organization, how could they use Fluent? Uh, what are some things to be thinking about as far as the features? Yeah. So the the way I would um, describe it is it's, it's like a writing system um, in sales. So first discovery conversation all the way down through upsell. And the design of the platform is to help you generate each piece of account-based content, meaning mm-hmm. it's very specific, it's unique to that account, whether it be things like a business case or executive summary, mid-funnel emails, internal notes to prep, for example, a sales engineer. Hey, we're designing this demo. What's the storyline that we want to tell? So every type of account-based content in the way that the system works with you and with your champions is by taking your buyer's language, looking at different sources like call transcripts, emails, notes, trying to isolate how does this team talk among themselves when they're internally? What's the choice of words and vocabulary that they use? And then pairing that with a framework to generate that particular piece of content, like an executive summary. So, you know, we know a good exec summary, bold, compelling headline, series of sharp problem statements. Let's talk about if solved and the right way to do that. What's the outcome, right? So kind of using their language to fill in that first draft and then allowing the rep to go back and forth in a shared space with their champion to develop it. So that, that system in a nutshell is fluent. Wow. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And from and I'll, I'll share just from from some of the most significant deals that I've done in my career. That's how it worked. Is the the better that I could package up their own internal language, their own internal culture, as crazy as that sounds, is trying to really mm-hmm. get as embedded into the company as I could. Those are the most significant deals I've closed in my career was the ones where I was able mm-hmm. to effectively do that. So having a tool to help enhance that is actually 
and from my perspective, still unreal. <laughs> I'm still wrapping my head around it because this is all stuff that you just sort of have to use a lot of intuition and you have to take it really slow and hope that your champion will let you into the tent in that way and allow you to have access to those things. And we'll share, you know, openly the, I don't know, internal names of a project or the mm -hmm. internal stakeholders or what the priorities are or what the, uh, impact would be, or the, the risks are for the company. So those are things that, um, you have to be thinking yeah. about, especially when you're closing a large enterprise deal. So it's really exciting to think that there's a product now that's going to help organize that in a way that's actionable. Well, you're, you're, so for people who are listening to Jesse talk right now, he's dropping a couple pretty strategic points that, um, I want to highlight because it's a mark of a good and an experienced strategic seller. So you're using phrases like embedded within the buying team, my ticket into the tent. And those are things that not every rep develops. Mm -hmm. um, and the last piece that you touched on, kind of the third thing is um, kind of related to discovery. So like a, a good a good working relationship with your champion in some of the design that we've kind of taken in, in, in mind is what you're producing should look and feel native as if it was created inside of the buying team. And so you're operating as like an enablement team that is attached to that champion. Like you are their enablement team of one, creating right. things that will exist that they can go sell with internally. Like th they're your inside sales rep. Mm -hmm. They're inside the tent to your point. And so you're their enablement team and your ticket into the tent to operate with your inside seller there is effective content that they're excited to use because it looks and feels and sounds like them. And then the other piece that you're mentioning is, you know, it's like exciting stuff. It's the type of internal project, the code names that they're using to, to reference. What's the thing that my executive is all spun up on and is talking to our team about week in and week out. And when you break into that and you're starting to align with priorities, not just products as the main focus, man, you've unlocked some pretty cool momentum yeah. inside of that deal. So you you dropped a couple like pretty good gems inside of that that I just wanted to highlight there. Well, I appreciate that. I'm I'm glad you're. I mean, coming from from you, that means a lot. It sounds like I'm on the right track here, and now I just need to get a, a technology like Fluent in my my workflow to help me organize it all. Because historically, it's just been a lot of Google Sheets and note, you know, sticky notes and text text message threads back and forth between myself and my champion. But again, I'm very excited to hear that there's a product in the market that's addressing that element to the art of selling, which is the part of selling that I don't think is going to get automated away anytime soon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, by the way, we can, we can definitely make that happen. Um, access yeah. coming to you um, after cool. this, but yeah, I, I mean, I agree. Um, for example, I'll, uh, I'll say one of the news uh, group of users that we're onboarding, one of the largest names in sales that you'll recognize and they're, I, um, they're going to do kind of a, an announcement. So I won't, I won't spoil the news, but sure. They, um, thousands of sellers and they're operating on word documents um outlook and OneNote, and, yeah. and, that, and that's it that that's the text sounds about right, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah sounds about right mm -hmm. so it uh it, it hits home it's you know for as crowded and as advanced as sales tech is there's still definitely kind of a need and you know of course we work with teams who own every tool under the sun. They're on Gong and Highspot and all of them. And and we fill the gap in that tech stack too. But man, there's a lot of just kind of um, uh, G Suite sellers out there too. 
Yeah. Yeah. G sweet sellers. I like that. Mm-hmm. That very much sums up my last five years was G suite seller with lots of mm-hmm. Google docs, lots of spreadsheets and um, yeah, lots of, lots of intuition and stuff like that too, but nothing, nothing actionable. Right. So I was telling you uh, before we, we hit record that one of the things that about your content and I'm a, a subscriber on your newsletter. So I got a, an email a couple of days back about the importance of writing and sales. And you touched on it a minute ago too. And this is something that I've shared with my colleagues for years. So just a little bit of background. I studied journalism in college. So I was forced over and over again to perfect my writing as best as possible and to write pyramid style. If you're for any journalism majors out there, you'll know what pyramid style is, which is you don't want to bury the lead in a, in a news story. So you want to try to lead with the most uh, impactful statement first. And um, I guess it ultimately kind of looks like a pyramid. I don't even remember why that is now, but the point, uh, the point is the, right the, up top. The point is right up top. There it is. Okay. Yeah. That's the analogy. The points up top, like a pyramid. So I've taken that with me into my selling career. And a lot of times people have asked, you know, Hey, what do you think your superpower is in sales? And I've said, well, I've really put a lot into reading and writing and trying to write in a clear and concise way that's that I can convey a lot of information in a very short amount of text. And if I were to pinpoint, you know, looking back at the last 10 years of my, you know, tech selling career, that that's what it comes down to is possibly I was able to do that better than peers, mostly because I happen to have studied journalism and I can still hear all my professors, you know, slamming the desk and saying, you got to shorten this. There's too much fluff in here, uh, pyramid style, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so when I, when I saw your email about some sales writing tips and the importance of, of good writing in, you know, in helping to, to power these deals along, especially with an executive buyer, I was over the moon. So maybe you could share with listeners a couple of the tips from that, that newsletter, a couple of the things that you found can help improve your writing significantly as a seller. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll go through them. And then your, your point there on some of the journalism classes reminded me of kind of a quick exchange that I had this just this morning on LinkedIn. I was writing about the link between writing in sales and discovery and um, Corey Bray um, over at Coach CRM said, um, this reminds me of one of my college classes where we had to write a 250 word memo in response to a prompt and half the class got a hundred, the other half got a zero. If you wrote 251 words or more, you got a zero. Everybody Ah. else, (laughs) they they got a hundred on the exercise. And so his, his point, um, was now when I'm competing in deals against people who don't go deep on writing and I can write a really sharp one page memo. We yeah. win those deals all the time. Yep. And I I read that and I was like, man, I should have been a journalism major. You know, <laughs> I should have ditched that finance degree, uh, practice some some more writing early on. But I'll um I'll I'll say that is one of the points within this uh well memo that I wrote on writing in sales that um you're raising there. And one of the points in there is always try to shrink your writing to one page. Because if you can't do that, then you don't know what you want to say. And that constraint um, just breeds clarity. It focuses your writing. Yeah. So I'm I'm also happy to just kind of, it's, it's pretty short and punchy. I can read all 10 if you're curious. Yeah. Just kind of talk to it. Let's go through those. I think they're, they, huh? this is really valuable stuff. So I, I would love yeah. to hear this. Okay. Well, here's the, uh, so here's the full memo. The more you write, the more you'll sell. Writing packages your message so champions can deliver it. 
during inter internal buying conversations when decisions are being made and you're not in the room. Here are 10 steps for writing well. Number one, write how your buyers talk. Use their words. Number two, start with a good framework. Then add in your buyer's words for back to point one. Number three, narrative structures are better internal scripts for champions. Slides are awkward. Number four, this is what I was just talking about. Shrink your writing to one page. Um, if you can't, you don't yet know what you want to say. Number five, noise is the enemy. Number six, template emails and product decks are noise. Champions don't use them. See number five. Mm -hmm. Number seven, cut out your branding. A trustworthy format is the customer's font on a white page. Number eight, ghost write. Make champions your authors and list their names on your docs. Number nine, your ROI is a maybe. The problem's cost is a fact. Always start with the facts. And number 10, write headlines customers will copy and paste into a board deck or press release. That's oh, how to write man. in sales. Okay, I, I, I'm going to share this whole list or, you know, definitely plug for the newsletter because this is this is just so good. Um, I want to try to break down a couple of these just, just to go deep on a few. Uh, how would you suggest, I'm not going in any particular order here. So mm -hmm. uh, again, for the listeners, you'll have to go track down this list, get on Nate's newsletter, um, cut down your branding or cut out your branding. A trustworthy format is the customer's font on a white page. So what you're saying there is rather than send over your marketing team's standard customer facing deck, you would recreate one from the ground up that's custom to your buyer that has their color hex codes and things like that in it with their logo mm -hmm. um, formatted mm -hmm. on, you know, as simple as possible, a white page versus a big image rich slide deck. Is that, am I understanding that mm -hmm. one right? Okay. That's right. That's right. For two reasons. One, one of the principles in there, noise is the enemy. Everybody's got a lot of clutter, a lot of stuff going on, and you're always fighting for attention and mind share within the buying process. So what, what is noise? It's something that's external. Like we'll read an email from an internal domain far before another domain that we don't recognize. So especially if you want your writing to get passed around a buying team, make it look like it came from inside of that buying team. Cut mm -hmm. out all of the external branding, um, in other words. And the other piece of this is when you throw a heavy brand wash over all of your materials with your own brand, what are you signaling? This has some spin. This has some bias. It's from a single yeah. point of view. And so I'll connect, I'll weave the web here. I'll connect it back to one of the other principles on champions or your co-authors, write with them. That's going to be hard to do if it feels like, wow, this came from another company because yeah. it's it's just all of their colors and fonts and customer logos and so on. So decrease noise, cut out all the branding. It's counterproductive, clean and simple, their font, white page. Yeah, that is, that's amazing. There's just not enough of that going on. Most people follow the straight line. Hey, this is the deck that I got when I started at the company and it has our branding all over it and a bunch of cool screenshots of our product. They're not thinking about it from this perspective. So I just think, you know, again, for anyone mm -hmm. listening, this is a whole new way to approach closing deals. And, and if you want to close large size enterprise deals, this, this has to be done. It has to be custom. Mm -hmm. uh, the, another point oh, well, and I'll just say quickly to that point large size the the um, largest deal of my career significant seven figure deal it was wow. two pages on a Google Doc one logo of the customer nothing else just words wow. black font white page that's amazing 
I love the simplicity and yeah, it resonates, it resonates. You know, nobody wants to, nobody wants to feel your bias. Like you said, that with all of the product branding from your product and the focus isn't on the buyer as the hero also in the story The you know, that makes the vendor, the hero, or, you, you know, the, the software company, the hero in this example, mm-hmm. I love number nine, your ROI is a maybe their problems cost is a fact. Always start with the facts. <laughs> Can you drill into that one a little bit for us? Yeah. So anytime you present something in the future as a projection of ROI or the value that you'll create, it is a best guess. And best guess is always subject to a discount rate or they are going to handicap what they believe could actually come true. Especially if you're talking with any type of finance persona, a CFO, mm-hmm. you know, what do they do? They think in terms of probabilities and they know that a, a future estimate is never sitting at a 100% forecast probability, the likely of that coming true, likelihood. However, you look at what has already happened, which is the cost of a problem. You can use the customer's own data to say, look, we know exactly what this is costing. Therefore, we're very confident that if we don't do anything, this will continue on Mm. or it'll get worse. (laughs) That that is a prediction that is more likely to hold some weight. And so what you're doing is you're starting with something that is true always lead with the truth. Then you're creating context for, well, the value in the future that we could create. Why is this meaningful? And it's the contrast. It's the difference between this is what we're losing today. This is what we could get tomorrow. The larger the gap between those two things, the more value that you're creating inside of the deal. But that's only perceived if you start with the fact, which is the cost. And then you talk about the future, the ROI. I wanted to share a tool that I started using recently. And if you're doing any prospecting or lead sourcing from LinkedIn, it's definitely worth checking out. The tool is called Surf and it's spelled S-U-R-F-E. It's a Chrome extension that allows you to add contacts to your CRM directly from LinkedIn. I use it to add contacts quickly, follow my deals, keep track of my notes. And it's actually saved me a bunch of time. The data is always 100% accurate because I don't have to copy and paste each detail from each contact over to my CRM. Instead, Surf does it all for me automatically with just one click. Now, the folks over at Surf have been kind enough to put together a promo offer for fans of SSP. You can go to the link in the show notes and use the promo code JWSURF with an E5 for a 5% discount on your first year. Check out the link in the show notes and go check them out. Wow. No, that's that's a really helpful way to approach that and think about it. It's totally... Sadly, not what gets coached a lot also um, in, in sales teams. The the coaching is to, to not necessarily focus on the facts. It's focus on extrapolation or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. But um, yeah, that is really, that's solid gold right there. Yeah, and well, then- I'll, I'll just say, I was talking with an enterprise AE um, yesterday who was like, Koi is my friend, i.e. cost of inaction. Koi is my friend, Roy is my enemy, ROI. And I was like, oh, that's a good little uh, uh, mnemonic <laughs> device to remember that. So Koi's your friend, Roy's your enemy. I wouldn't go so far as to say your enemy. You need them both. They work together, right. but definitely Koi is your friend early. Yeah. No, I like that. So the, the last one here that I really like is write headlines. Customers will copy and paste into a board deck or press release. I've had that happen before and I closed the deal. So I can you know personally attest to when... 
when your champion and your executive buyer start copying over things that you create and putting those into their own internal decks, whether that's internal company team stuff, or if it's external, internal to external, they're putting it in front of their investors uh, or their board of directors. That's when you know you're onto something. And so I had a deal about two years ago where like pretty much everything I would create for this deal, the champion would call me up on like a Friday afternoon and say, can you jump on a zoom call? I just want to show you what I'm putting together for my internal presentation. Mm-hmm. And we would spend like probably an hour. It was, it was a significant deal and it was a, it was a household name logo. So it was a really exciting one. So it was worth the time, but I would spend maybe an hour and a half with her on a Friday afternoon just reviewing the deck that she was building for her internal presentations on how to implement our solution. And so she would take, yeah, headlines. She would take graphics that, that we had put together showing what their experience would look like. And it was just very predictable from that point on. I just knew, I was like, we're not spending this many hours together for this not to close. This is a real Mm -hmm. project. This is a, there's a real committee that's reviewing this. I know all about it because I'm basically her, her assistant in this project, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was there to help her make sure the deck looked aesthetically pleasing and that it had all the right content and that it was accurate and that she was prepared to go and present to this internal buying committee. And so I think that that point in in the writing aspect really nails it that as soon as you start to hear things that you've created are coming out in other meetings internally or externally, you know, you're onto something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if you can shape the sentences the team uses to talk about a project, you can also begin to influence and shape their thinking on what's the right direction to go. And that's the beauty of co-authoring was exactly what you were doing. You were building together. And the other point that you brought up that's a really fun thing is as you go through this process together, as you're selling with her, by you're, you're like her enablement team, right? You are creating content that she was then using to sell internally. What you're also doing is you're allowing her to build a large sense of ownership in the project because we all take a stake in the things that we create. She was creating right there with you. And it reminds me of a quote that one of our champions um, for a deal that we did with one of the top five retailers toward the um, kind of later stages in the cycle. She goes, if this doesn't go through, I will quit my job. And she was dead wow. serious. She had she had built such an attachment to the the project, not just the product, but everything wrapped around it that was gonna come with it that we were working on together. And she was like, if this does not go through, I will quit my job. And I was like, that is the type of champion that you want going in to sell when you're not there. That is a hell of an endorsement. Wow. Wow. Well, um, tell, tell us what, what are some things that, so, so lately on the show, I've been talking a lot about how to close your first significant deal in your career. A lot of my listeners Mm -hmm. are still early in their their SaaS sales journey and looking to close their first six or seven figure annual SaaS deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds like you've had a lot of experience working with large enterprise customers. Tell us some things, uh, maybe one or two things that someone who's out there listening today can think about to help get them closer to that goal of closing their first significant brand or, or deal size. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, one of the things that I would I would say is if you talk with somebody who has been selling kind of larger six, seven plus figure deals, by the way, um, shout out to my friend Jamal. I see his book, Mega Deal Secrets <laughs> yeah. on, your, on your shelf in the background there. Um, so eight figure you know, deals in that case. The, the thing that they will tell you that somebody who hasn't sold um, a larger deal is that it's not actually about the deal size. 
that makes things challenging. It's about the number of contacts. And that's what drives the complexity in an enterprise or a strategic sale. So put the deal, deal value aside and just think about the number of people that you need to create consensus with. Mm-hmm. And the reason is that that's where you get all kinds of conflicting opinions, um, folks with different priorities, sets of metrics, especially when you're selling across business unit or PL lines. People are evaluated and compensated differently. And then you're yeah. trying to get them all together to agree on something and to move in a new direction. So that is that is the challenge in a more complex deal. And the way to operate in light of that is to think about your account planning as designing the flow of internal communications that's going to go down inside of the buying team. And so it's it's for you to design how people talk internally about a certain project, how to frame it in a way that aligns with all of those interests, and then to help develop some of the content that your first champions can go out and sell with. So that mm-hmm. would be the first mindset shift that I would encourage folks to make. The second one that I would think about is it is really hard after years and years of having efficiency and activity drilled into you to allow yourself the time to slow down, think at a more thoughtful level, what is it that I actually want to show up and communicate? Where are these people coming from? And it will take a lot of time at first. You will probably spend, for example, um, you may block out a day and have zero meetings and you are just writing and rewriting an executive summary to get ready for a significant meeting with a key account. And at first, I promise you, you will be so anxious and like, this is a waste of an entire day. I need to log some activity. I just need to make some random cold calls to feel like I'm doing something. But give yourself the space and the freedom to just think about quality and impact first, no matter what time it takes. Once you're operating at a level of like, wow, I'm really proud of what I've written up with this champion. Your point earlier, I was spending 90 minutes on a Friday afternoon just sitting and talking about a couple slides for one yep. account. That's it, right? Yeah, That's good. And I would say yeah. that is good and that's the way. So two, two um, I guess, ways to reframe thinking if you're just starting to do some more complex selling. I had not thought to articulate that ever, but that is so true that in the transition in my career from sort of SMB or commercial deals into larger enterprise deals, it is very uncomfortable because you're programmed to think, no, I should be making cold calls right now, or I should be volume blasting emails or whatever, uh, versus like, yeah, spending two hours sitting with somebody prepping for a custom demo or prepping for some sort of internal conversation. So it's a huge mindset shift. Uh, I've had a few folks, you mentioned Jamal Reimer earlier, Jamal was on the show and that was, uh, you know, a topic of conversation that we had also Brandon Fluharty. I've had him on the, the pod also. Yeah. Another good and friend. Yeah. He's, he's a big advocate of like, you should be writing I think, you know, his, his claim to fame is he wrote this brief, uh, or it was a, uh, like a letter. It was an open letter to the, an airline brand that he was a customer for. And that opened the door to their executive team, which helped him close one of the largest deals of his career. And so I've internalized that. And I've found that that is so true that if you focus on the creative aspects of, of doing these types of deals mm-hmm. and you kind of tune out some of the just mindless activity, and I won't, it's not all mindless. You have to still do prospecting activities, but when you've got the right project in the queue and you've got someone who's a, an ICP buyer that has, you know, an active initiative and there's a shot at it, 
you want to make sure you invest the right amount of, of creativity mm-hmm. into the deal, frankly, and the right amount of strategy, not just the tactical stuff. So right. I'm glad you spoke to that because I don't know that enough people talk about that out loud. Yeah. And I would, I would say that was how we became friends because we were both writing on writing and sales, creating a narrative structure for a good memo. And we were like, yeah, you get it. Like, you don't think I'm crazy. And he's like, you don't think I'm crazy. I'm like, let's talk about this. <laughs> and um, it, it is a pretty cool story, by the way. It was an open letter to the executives at American Airlines, which was a pretty, pretty sweet story to see how that one yeah. came about. Um, and just a good example of like, especially when you put some time and creativity um, and if you are so fortunate enough to be able to work with a brand that you actually use and buy from and you enjoy, it's it's fun, man. You know, you yeah. enjoy spending that amount of time in selling. And I'll, I'll give maybe um, folks a visual on that shift is when, when I was selling SMB, before I went out and built this first enterprise business unit after our, our my past startup was acquired. So I was traveling every week. That company was based in Washington, D.C. I was living in Chicago at the time. And so I remember trying to help out um, the SMB team with deals. I would be sitting in the back of an Uber with my laptop open and a hotspot on trying to like furiously get through emails and type things away, right? Yeah. After. So fast forward a year later, working and traveling for key accounts in an Uber, I'm sitting there in silence just thinking trying to form a point of view on a different way that we could approach something instead of this like mad dash, you know, there was never a minute when my laptop wasn't open. I'm just like sitting thinking. And that's, that's part of the shift to doing more strategic deals. And by the way, that's where this industry gets really fun for anyone out there who's listening. And and maybe they're, I know I've talked to a lot of younger sellers uh, or I should say earlier career sellers and they say, you know, when, when does it stop being just such a frenzy, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. to your point, like back of the Uber, trying to get a, a hotspot connection so you can blast out a bunch of emails. And this is when it does get really fun. This is when the career becomes, you become more like a consultant than like, uh, you know, a sales rep or a, or a call center agent or something like that. You become <laughs> someone who's a strategic partner and an advisor, a consultant, whatever word you want to use. And this is when the job gets really fun. And frankly, it's when it gets a lot more lucrative too, is when you can start to think about things in a new way and you can really start to solve real problems for real companies. And, and in some cases, those companies will be products that sit on your shelf at home in some way or, or you know, services you use like American Airlines. So um, yeah, love the insight and, and appreciate you sharing all that. I want to help my listeners get in touch with you and your team. How can fans go about finding you and, and checking out Fluent? Yeah, the best way, and um, you mentioned it earlier, so thank you for that, is checking out our newsletter. Um, the I do all of our writing on our blog, and then I send that out every other week in our newsletter, so it's just fluent.io backslash newsletter, F-L-U-I-N-T.io backslash newsletter. Awesome. I'm going to paste a link to that in the show notes, the episode notes for this uh, episode. Nate, this was an absolute it was an absolute pleasure having you on the show and an amazing conversation. Anything, any last words of wisdom you'd like to to leave with the audience? Last words of wisdom. Well, I'll, get, I'll give you a short story. It relates to the theme of writing and sales and then this topic that we were on and making the shift. So um, legend has it, a woman walks up to Pablo Picasso sitting in a cafe and she says, you know, Mr. Picasso, I'd love for you to draw me a work of art. Um, you can do it on this napkin here and I'll pay you whatever you believe it's worth. 
And he says, okay. So he takes 30 seconds. He creates a sketch on the napkin, hands it back to her. Uh, and says, that'll be $15,000. And she's like, what? But that, that took you 30 seconds. And he's like, oh no, my dear, that took me 40 years. Ah. And so the point is that to do something with high quality and speed, it takes some time. And so give yourself grace. If you've heard some things today that you want to try and it's not coming as fast or as naturally as you would like, uh, Picasso was known from age 20 to age 90. He created one new piece of art every single day. So just try, practice, give yourself some time, get to a standard of quality that you're really excited by. And then, you know, you can go fast afterward. It, it'll come with time. Amazing example. Uh, I don't even know what to say to that. That was just the perfect way to to summarize that. And a good message for everyone out there, because I think we forget sometimes that it's not it's not something that comes easy or quick. It's something that comes with repetition, time, and experience. Right on, right on. Well, Jesse, thank you again for having me, man. I really enjoyed it.